Hi, I'm Kristen Hodgden, an IVF mom, proud fertility and women's health advocate, and co-founder of Rescripted. Welcome to Dear Infertility, the first ever podcast that doubles as an advice column for all things fertility and women's health. This season, join me along with Dr. Nicole Yoder, a fertility specialist at Spring Fertility in New York City, as we explore what to do when you're trying to conceive and feel like nothing is working. From when to seek the help of a fertility specialist to what questions to ask when IVF fails, we'll address all things fertility troubleshooting so you can become your own best reproductive health advocate. Now let's dive in. When it comes to IVF or egg freezing, finding the right fertility clinic can make all the difference. Spring Fertility believes you deserve the peace of mind that comes with choosing a clinic that can deliver the best results and compassionate care. Spring Fertility dreams big with you and supports your goals no matter what. With personalized treatment plans, a team that really gets to know you, and easy to schedule appointments that start on time, Spring is here for you. With locations in the Bay Area and New York, Spring Fertility offers the most advanced fertility treatments in a warm, approachable setting. For IVF, egg freezing, egg donation, surrogacy, and more, book a consultation at springfertility.com to learn more. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Dear Infertility. I'm your host, Kristen, and I'm so excited to be here today and for this whole season, actually, with Dr. Nicole Yoder. Hi, Dr. Yoder. Hello. It's great to be here with you for the season. Yeah, so happy to have you here. Dr. Nicole Yoder is a fertility specialist and board-certified OBGYN with Spring Fertility in New York City. We love Spring Fertility, and we're just really excited to talk about all things fertility troubleshooting this season, whether you've been trying to conceive for a few months or a year and are wondering what now, to having multiple miscarriages or IVF failures. We're going to talk about what to do when it feels like nothing is working. There are always options and knowledge is power, and we're here to give you the tools so that you can go back to your physician and healthcare providers and advocate for yourself. Really excited to dive in. That sounds great, and I'm excited to delve into all sorts of topics that we'll cover. And as you said, we'll cover all the nuts and bolts, things that might be useful tools, and happy to be here. Awesome. So I thought we could start with the first episode geared towards an individual or a couple who they've been trying to conceive for a little while, maybe about a year, and they're it's not they're not having luck and they're thinking, what's next? What are my options? And I see it all the time where people because of the sort of like lack of access to care and the cost, it's people automatically jump to IVF is so expensive. I don't know if I'll ever be able to afford that. And I really want to talk about there are options. It, it, you don't have to look at the whole mountain. There's It's one step at a time. And so what would be, as a fertility specialist, the next step that you'd recommend? So I think you bring up a great point of taking it one step at a time. But if you have found that you've been trying for a year, which we define really as unprotected intercourse on a regular basis over the course of that year, it's really time to start thinking about the next steps. And maybe you need some sort of evaluation and and a workup at that point. So anyone who's been trying by a year, we say it's really time to take that next step and get an evaluation with a fertility specialist. Okay. So you would skip over the OBGYN or would that be a good first step? Or No, that 
That is a, a very good point. And this comes back to another point that you mentioned with like resources and where you are. Some places you're going to have readily available fertility specialists at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. That might not be as feasible. And it's okay to start with your OBGYN. It's okay to even, maybe you don't have an OBGYN yet. It's okay to first start with your PCP. But I think really what you need to be doing is just starting that first step of entry into some sort of evaluation and someone who can point you in the right direction. Now, maybe when they go through that history, they say, oh, this is a little out of my league given what I'm seeing. You do need to go to a specialist. Mm-hmm. Say, we can start the evaluation here. We'll do what we can. And if it feels like you're going to need a higher level of care, then we can get to that next juncture and maybe level it up at that point. But whatever your scenario is, it is time to take mental inventory of of where you are, your overall health, and take that next step of getting some sort of evaluation so you can start to get some answers. Absolutely. That's great advice. You go to your healthcare provider and you ask for a full fertility workup, what does that sort of include? Let's say you're starting with your OBGYN. The first thing that they're going to do is probably take a pretty detailed history. We really start by just having a conversation. We always want to know, what has the last year been like for you? What have you been trying? Have you had any biochemical pregnancies? Absolutely no pregnancies. Have you had any pregnancies in the past? So we're really going to dig into that history, your medical history, your GYN history, and then just how you've been trying. That might sound like a silly thing to say, like how you've been trying, but you'd be surprised. Some people, they're like, we've had sex and nothing has happened, but maybe they have a time thing. Whereas Mm -hmm. other people are already using the apps. They're already looking at like fertility trackers, maybe using OPKs. So there are definitely different levels of, where people are coming from. And it's good for us to understand what you have and have not done. How often are you having intercourse? Does your partner travel half the year? Maybe six months of those attempts weren't actual, quote unquote, real tries if they weren't Mm -hmm. really there. That helps us get a little context of the bigger picture. But we're going to start literally just by having a conversation. Yeah. And right then and there, in my case, it was like, oh, I wasn't even getting a period. so. I wasn't, that is a big red flag that I wasn't ovulating and still somehow as a 27-year-old college-educated yeah. <laughs> woman, yeah, I yeah, yeah, realized yeah. that meant I couldn't get pregnant. Fast forward six years and or seven years and knowing what I know now, but hindsight's twenty twenty. But yeah. Our, you bring a good point. All of our reproductive education is mostly how to not become pregnant. So there are things right. that you might have happening that you think nothing of. Oh, I missed a period here or there. Like, no big deal. That doesn't matter. But it matters. It actually matters. And it matters to us when we're looking for what could be going on. So sometimes, like, you don't know what you don't know. And it's good to just start that conversation of getting into those more details and maybe things that you didn't think were important that actually are. Mm-hmm. Happens to everyone. The most right. educated people don't get good reproductive education or specifically infertility education. Yeah, we did. We just did a major survey of a thousand of our community members on the state of sex ed in America, and the results were pretty staggering. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm no, sure. Just, shocking. <laughs> yeah, just and it's not our fault. It's like we were taught how not to get pregnant. Yeah. Not, and, yeah. And less about fertility awareness in our bodies. Exactly. And even in 
more higher level reproductive specific education, even then. So OBGYNs and training do not get a lot of information or background on infertility. It's a very small slice of our educational pie. So it really is something that even well-educated medical people are not going to have a lot of solid information about. Awesome. So actually, I I wasn't planning on asking this, but now that we're here and it's just so important, what do you typically advise patients who may not be doing it? The biggest thing is, are you ovulating regularly? Mm -hmm. And does the timing seem to be at least somewhat accurate? Yeah. Um, do you know when your fertile window is and are you having sex during those time? Yep. Those are, that's like kind of the basic. And you would be surprised that some people, it's, it takes energy and effort to track these things. Yeah. And we're all busy people. And sometimes people don't realize until maybe six months, a year has gone by. And then they retrospectively look back and try to figure out when their periods happen. They're like, oh, shoot, that was all over the map. So that's even ovulation test strips. I was, I'm embarrassed to say how not long ago it was when I learned that you get the peak like prior to ovulation. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily ovulating that day. Yes. Yes, exactly. Even little details like that. And some of them work differently. Yeah, that part, no one teaches you these things. You have to read it like on the back of the box and interpret it yourself. And it's not as straightforward as one would think. That's why Rescripted is here. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Did you know that according to the CDC, one out of every five women deal with heavy menstrual bleeding, also known as menorrhagia? Some of these women are at risk of iron deficiency anemia, which can cause symptoms like fatigue. Shield Therapeutics is a patient-focused commercial stage pharmaceutical company on a mission to improve the lives of people suffering from iron deficiency, enabling them to enjoy the things that make a difference in their everyday lives. Their lead medicine, Acrufer, is a novel, stable, non-salt-based oral therapy for adults with iron deficiency with or without anemia. Visit shieldtherapeutics.com to learn more. So say your patient has been doing everything right, all of the right things, using the apps, tracking her cycle, but she's been trying for a year with no luck. She gets the fertility evaluation. What are some of the markers that you would be looking at in the evaluation to determine what your next steps would be? Yeah, so a basic evaluation is going to start with, as we said, going through your medical history. Do you have any medical conditions that may make your success rates less than somebody else your age or that are uncontrolled? So medical history, your GYN history, We alluded to this already with looking at your period pattern. Are you presumably, if you're having regular periods, that is our best marker for ovulating regularly. We're going to ask you a lot of questions about the details of those things. What are your periods like? Are they super painful? Is the average 28 days, but maybe some months are 24 and some are 34? That's a little bit of a different picture. So we're going to get more details about the period. And any history that's relevant. Do you have any history of sexually transmitted infection? Have you had any procedures on your uterus? Those types of things. Full history, GYN history. And then we're going to do most likely that first visit and ultrasound. Really just to take a look at the uterus and the ovaries and get a sense of, is there anything structural with the uterus that sticks out to us? Polyps, 
fibroids, septum, those types of things that are really obvious. Mm -hmm. And your ovaries, just to see what type of ovarian reserve do we see, which we can, I'm sure we will talk a lot more about that over the course of the season. But ovarian reserve is something that we not necessarily use as a marker of your natural fertility, but it's definitely helpful when we're thinking about how to move forward and what makes the most sense. Would that be the antral follicle count? Yes. Okay. Yes. Part of that is the antral follicle count. And part of that is the AMH or anti-mullerian hormone. And that those two things combined give us a pretty good sense of what your ovarian reserve is. But that's a good transition into other blood work that we also do. So we'll check other blood work like thyroid, prolactin, depending on your history, some basic blood work like your blood counts, infectious disease screening, and then genetic carrier screening is another blood work that you'll probably get at that first visit if you haven't done it already. Love that you mentioned the thyroid. I feel like that's like the one that not everyone knows to ask for, but I was having like chronic fatigue and it turned out that I had a full-blown thyroid condition and autoimmune condition. So it's yeah, it's just a couple years ago, but I always say, make sure you ask. To, to yeah, check on the thyroid. Yeah, and yeah. thyroid, you can be fine one year and you're totally out of whack the next. So it's yeah. something that if you have changes in symptoms and the one you mentioned is a really good example of something that Thyroid issues can cause fatigue, but so can 10,000 other things like life or anything else can also cause fatigue. So it's not always top of mind. Oh, maybe my thyroid is off. So that's another reason why we like to just talk first and and go through what are you feeling, like any symptoms that you're having, because it can clue us in certain directions in terms of what may be going on. But just to round out sort of the overall initial workup. So we talked about your history, your blood work, your ultrasound, genetics, and a semen analysis. Those are going to be the initial screening and the nuts and bolts of the very basic fertility assessment that's going to start to give us some clues as to what may or may not be going on. I also love that you mentioned the semen analysis because fertility is takes two to tango. <laughs> Absolutely. And I can't tell you how many times we have a, a single woman who comes in, not a single woman, a woman who walks in the office who has a partner and they're like, oh, this is, you go do the workup. I'm like, oh no, this is a two-party situation. So they are not exempt from that initial workup either. And it's actually probably one of the most affordable fertility tests yeah. out there. And it's literally 50% of the equation. So yeah. for nothing else, like just, marking that off the list and like process of elimination. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. But like in terms of evaluation, it's a pretty low hanging fruit. Yeah, exactly. For the most part, pretty easy to do, pretty accessible, pretty affordable. So it and it is definitely, as you mentioned, it's 50% of the equation. So that is 100% part of the initial (laughs) workup. Absolutely. So when should someone go see a fertility specialist, whether they've gotten a fertility workup with their OBGYN or maybe their age is obviously a big factor here too? Yeah. So we talk about age. Anyone who is under 35, we're going to draw that line in the sand at a year of trying. That's when it's really start 
time to start going and getting a fertility evaluation. Now, if you're over 30, 35 or over, we shorten that duration to six months. Mm-hmm. So anyone who is up 35 or older, if you've been trying for six months, then I would say also time to go get that evaluation. Mostly because these outcomes are all age-related, unfortunately, and there's just a higher chance that you're going to need some sort of intervention. So we don't say to wait for a year if you're you're 42. Don't wait a year. Come Mm -hmm. on in a year. There are other reasons why you don't need to wait that amount of time. So if you know that you do not ovulate or you do not get periods, come on in earlier. That's an issue. If you have a history of pelvic inflammatory disease or history of sexually transmitted infections, I'd say that's a good reason to come on in earlier. If you think that you have super painful, heavy periods that just don't seem normal to you, another reason why you don't need to wait that full amount of time to get an evaluation. A year and those six months are traditional teaching, but there are definitely reasons why it would be acceptable and preferred to come in for an evaluation sooner. Awesome. Yeah, I think some people automatically think it's a year no matter what. So it's great advice because we know that female fertility declines as we age, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What if you're in a same-sex female relationship? What would your sort of next steps be there? That is definitely a situation where people are usually coming as soon as they're starting to try oftentimes, just because you know without male partner or a sperm source, as we sometimes call it, readily available, you're probably going to need some sort of assistance to achieve a pregnancy. Yep. And really what the best route is going to depend partially on those same things we already talked about, like your medical history, your overall goals. But a lot of times you can start with things like an IUI before you need to necessarily move on to IVF. I think a common misconception is if you walk in the door of a fertility office that we're going to tell you to go straight to IVF. That's the only way to achieve a pregnancy or that's like what you have to do if you walk in here. And this is a really good example of why that's not the case. And for some people, that is actually completely inappropriate to start there. But things like inseminations are a great step for people who are using either donor sperm because they're single parent by choice or same-sex female couple. And we can start the pertinent workup for that that situation mm-hmm. instead. Who else might be a good candidate for IUI? People who are good candidates for IUI tend to be people who don't ovulate regularly. Because when we're doing IUIs, we're improving that parameter. Mm-hmm. people who maybe the sperm quality is not quite what we want it to be. And we can improve that a little bit by doing like a sperm wash or something like that. Or maybe just the motility is a little low. Those people tend to benefit from doing an IUI. And they tend to have higher success with IUI than they are trying on their own. So donor sperm, you don't ovulate, or the semen analysis is not quite up to snuff, but not severely low. All of those are great candidates for IUI. Or maybe it's somebody who only wants one kid and they really don't want to do IVF and they don't want to do the time, money, like all the shots. And then they just want to try to optimize the system as best they can. A lot of those types of people will start with IUI as well. So really depends on your overall goals and also what we think is the reason for the infertility. Yeah, I love hearing that. A lot of our listeners know that I've been on a long fertility journey and I only, I want one more baby and IVF didn't work or at least the embryos we had. And the thought of going back and doing another retrieval just scares 
that can be daunting. Yeah, I know that's a lot. If you are just in a really intense IVF situation and it didn't work, like going back to it is yeah, and right for you right now. And so sometimes it does make sense to just go back to the basics if ovulation is the issue or. Do you ever recommend, because at the very beginning of my journey, this was years ago before my twins, but I think I did one cycle with just Clomid and timed intercourse. Do you ever recommend that in a fertility care setting or do you always just say, I I will give you the better chance? No, if the issue is really that you just don't ovulate, it's not that, if that's really the core issue, ovulation induction with timed intercourse can be a great way to start because you're addressing the main problem, which is ovulation. It's not that there's not sperm exposure. It's not the full factor or something like that. We just need to get you to ovulate. Mm-hmm. Presumably, if we have no other major concerns, that can be a really great way to, a great starting point. Yeah. And when is it IVF is definitely the way to go? Times will tell you, proceed directly to IVF. If we do an analysis and we see that your tubes are blocked, both tubes are blocked, there is a I never say zero because that's a very strong number, but a almost 0% chance that natural intercourse or inseminations, any of that is going to be successful. So we'd say go directly to IVF. If you do a semen analysis and we see no sperm or very low amounts of sperm, severe male factor, we're going to say go straight to IVF. In cases where the age of the female partner is older, It's not a hard and fast, must go straight to IVF, but the IUI success rates can be so low that we're going to tell you this might not be worth your time and money and energy and effort. And if you want a decent success rate, you're really going to want to go straight to IVF. And then the other scenario is if there are any genetic concerns or specifically if there are genes that we are trying to screen out for. And we need to make a probe for those genes, then we're going to say you you have to do IVF to test for specific genes, which is known as PGTM. But if you are a PGTM candidate, you have to go straight to IVF as well. I love that that's an option too. I know. It's an amazing thing that has evolved through all of this like reproductive technology and really a really great benefit. Love it. And I love what you said earlier about depending on how many kids you want to have, because That was a question that my original fertility doctor never asked me. And I did a lot of IUIs without having ever communicated that I knew I wanted like at least three kids. And so I wished at that point that I had gone to IVF sooner because then you have the potential to get more embryos. But I think that's such an important factor for people to consider. Yeah. And that's one of the things that we should be asking you at your initial visit. And if they don't ask you, (laughs) tell them because your overall family planning goals really play into the whole picture. If you tell me you want four kids and you're starting at 38, I'm going to tell you go straight to IVF because you're going to want to make some embryos. But if you're in my office and you're 28 and you want one or two kids, maybe you don't have to jump to that route quite as, as quickly. Yeah. I always tell people it's a good idea to keep in the back of your mind when you could see foreseeably be having your last baby. So the pregnancy spacing is important as well. And obviously no one knows what life will hold and no one knows like how things will play out ultimately. But if in your ideal world, you have a kid at 35 and then a kid at 40, 
you're having a kid at 40 and then the chances are going to be a lot lower and you're going to wish you did IVF sooner. So number of kids, pregnancy spacing, and when you could foreseeably be having your last child are all things that you should be talking about in that first visit. That's great advice. What about someone hoping to freeze eggs or become an independent parent? What do you recommend their route be as far as how many eggs they want to freeze or just overall considerations? This is another situation where it's really important to understand that patient's overall. Mm -hmm. So some people will come and say, I don't know if I want kids. And if I did, it would only be one. And if it didn't work out, I would live my life peacefully. But I want to keep the option open. So I'm going to freeze some eggs. Other people come in and they say, I know I want to be a mom. I know I want to have a family. I don't foresee this starting until I'm like maybe closer to 40 and I want five kids. And it's really important to me that I would be devastated if this didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So that's a very different scenario in terms of, you know, what their goals are. So you always have to know what their overall goals are in like number, size of family in order to have that conversation about what's a good number to, of eggs to freeze. The other big component is age, the the age at which you're freezing the eggs. So people who are younger do not need as many as people who are older to get the same outcome. Yep. Awesome. I think this was such a great sort of overview of what to do if you've been having trouble trying to conceive at home and what your next step should be. I always like to ask since... The one thing that I would say to re-script is you never know what you don't know about Mm -hmm. fertility. And we really do a poor job of educating people about it. So there's no shame in asking. There's no shame in getting that information. And there's no shame in educating yourself about fertility. Love it. You're speaking my language. Thank you so much, Dr. Yoder. Next time, we're going to be talking about some of the diagnostic tests that are typically done before patients move forward with fertility treatments. So I'll talk to you then until next time. All right, looking forward to it. If this podcast means something to you, be sure to hit follow or subscribe. This helps you because you'll never miss an episode and it helps us because you'll never miss an episode. For everything you need to know about fertility and women's health, head to rescripted.com or follow us on social at hellorescripted.com.